1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 667 with John Levy. If you would like to boost your influence and have some more connections that can help take you where you'd like to be, John brings the goods. So you'll learn one, why relationships are the number one predictor of your success. Two, how to make networking feel more natural. And three, how to build trust quickly with vulnerability loops. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, I recommend you drop by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP667. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I'd also recommend you check out our Gold Nugget Summaries. These provide a rundown of the key wisdom bits from each of the guests that you can read in about two or three minutes. They come right to your inbox and unlock the vault of all 667 of these summaries when you sign up for the Gold Nuggets at AwesomeAtYourJob.com. Now here is John's story. John Levy is a behavioral scientist best known for his work in influence, human connection, and decision-making. John specializes in applying the latest research to transform the ways companies approach marketing, sales, consumer engagement, and culture. His clients range from Fortune 500 brands like Microsoft, Google, AB InBev, and Samsung to startups. Big thanks to John for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Now, here's John. John, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you. I'm super excited. I
2: also want to learn how to be awesomer at my job, and I'm hoping through, like, osmosis and
1: hanging out with you, I could enjoy my work more. Oh, certainly. Well, I'd love it if you could kick us off by sharing a story. We're talking about influence here. Could you tell us a cool story about a professional who really transformed their career by cultivating influence?
2: So one of the people that I think is super interesting is a woman named Jean Neidich. And Jean was a kind of in her eyes, an overweight housewife. And one day while uh, going to the supermarket to pick up some food, she was uh, going through the aisles and an old acquaintance of hers says, hi, you look great. And she was feeling very beautiful. And the acquaintance said, when are you due? And Jean was mortified. The woman thought she was pregnant. And uh, she said to herself, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to finally lose this weight. And what she did was she signed up for a weight loss course provided by the city of New York. And she had lost some weight, but she realized she was really lonely. So she invited a bunch of women to her home to play Mahjong or some game like that. But really, it was an opportunity for her to talk about weight loss and her struggling with it. And the group bonded so much that they kept meeting. And then eventually that turned into Weight Watchers Mm -hmm. and became an international sensation of a company. She became a multimillionaire, a celebrity. And the way that she fundamentally did it was by gathering people and creating an intimate and safe space. And over time, that grew into her influence. Mm -hmm. And I I just love the story, especially because at the time, she couldn't even have a credit card with her name on it. It said Miss Marty Nightage because women couldn't really have businesses back then.
1: All right. So so then the the magic happened when mm-hmm. she did some inviting and say, hey, come on over. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. So
2: in my personal view, our influence is a byproduct of who we're connected to, how much they trust us, and the experience of belonging that we share. Mm-hmm. And what she was able to do was find something to connect with people on that they cared about, which is their health and wellness. She created an incredibly safe space of trust. And then the people who participated in the program had this incredible sense of community, because it was that one place where they could speak openly about the the trials and tribulations that they went through, the shame that they experienced, the struggle from day to day to, you know, not eat some cake. And I think that's, that's pretty incredible that she was able to do that and then figure out how to make that scale so that people around the world could really have that experience of belonging. And
1: mm-hmm. your book, You're Invited, The Art and Science of Cultivating Influence, you've got a number of, of principles and stories along mm. these lines. Can you share with us kind of what is the the big idea here? So here's what's kind of funny.
2: In my 20s, I kept trying to change my life by like reading every self-help book and setting my alarm for 6 a.m. to go work out. And then I'd beat myself up for not going to the gym or hitting snooze 10 times, right? I was like this, I was overweight, I was broke, and I was single. And I couldn't seem to figure out how to like get my break. And I was sitting in a seminar and the seminar leader said, the fundamental element that defines the quality of our lives are the people we surround ourselves with and the conversations that we have with them. And I said, well, if that's true, then- Maybe instead of beating myself up for not going to the gym, what I should do is make friends with a whole bunch of athletes. Uh And then it'll be part of my social circle to exercise. It'll just be a part of my habits. Well, it turns out these two guys, Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler, researchers, were curious about the obesity epidemic. And what they found was kind of startling. They found that if you have a friend who's obese, your probability of obesity increases by 45%. Uh Your friends who don't know that person have a 20% increased chance and their friends have a 5% increased chance, which means that everything flows through our communities or our social networks. And that's true for happiness, marriage and divorce rates, smoking habits, voting habits. And so the basic premise of the book is that if we can curate the people who can have the biggest impact on our lives around us and create deep and meaningful relationships, that'll have a profound impact on everybody's life in a positive way. And that's true whether it's business or it's longevity. The greatest predictor of human longevity is not exercise or eating healthy. The greatest predictors are, number two, strong social ties, and number one, social integration. You're part of the community. On the business front, you can measure employee sick days, profitability, and stock value to the level of oxytocin, the cuddle chemical, Mm -hmm. and employees' bloodstreams. So the basic premise is, how do we connect? How do we build trust?
1: And how do we give people a sense of belonging so we can really have an impact on our lives? Certainly. And so when you're talking about cultivating influence, Mm -hmm. you're not so much, well, you tell me, talking (laughs) about how to be super persuasive Mm. so much as cultivating the influences around you, you know, to you and for you.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. So it's, it's interesting. Right now, the word influence has kind of shifted because of people taking photos of avocado toasts Mm -hmm. on Instagram, right? And like, don't get me wrong. I really respect people who can cultivate a large audience. It's like a skill set that I fundamentally do not have, right? But when we really look at the kind of influence we care about, it's less about that. It's less about like marketing a product or getting people to sign up for something. It's generally like, do I know the right person to get my kid into the high school I want to get them into. I'm not feeling well. Do I have a friend who's a medical expert who can answer a question? And so it's mostly things that are a byproduct of relationships. Do I have enough trust built up with that client for them to close the deal? Right? That's the kind of influence we want. I'd actually argue in general. Now, Mm -hmm. a proxy for a lot of people is follower count. But my guess is that that's probably generally less satisfying than having a close friend. Oh, certainly. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't have a really large following, but I do have a lot of close friends
1: and I really love having (laughs) them. So, Mm -hmm. well, so lay it on us. Uh That sounds like a great thing to have influence in in this view of it. And we've got a a bit of a key prongs there Mm -hmm. to pursue in terms of making friends and have great conversations with them. So how in practice can one do that well? Great question. So let's split it up into the three topics. Is that okay?
2: Oh, sure. There's how do we get people to want to connect with us? How do we build trust quickly? And how do we really develop an experience of belonging? So it turns out that what we've been touting in our society is that people who are great at connecting go and network. Now, I don't know about you. I hate networking. It is anxiety ridden. It's uncomfortable. You're never really talking to the person you want to talk to. It feels really transactional. And in fact, research by Francesca Gino from Harvard Business School found that people feel in an other than conscious way, dirty. They feel the need to wash, right? Uh The implicit association. Nobody wants to network. Now, what's interesting is we do not feel that way when we're making friends. And so let's forget networking and let's ask the question, what will have somebody want to be our friend? And so what will have somebody want to be our friend? Kind of like basic things. It's, is there something interesting or novel, right? Right meaning what you're up to or doing is it does it stand out in some way that would make me curious or interested are you in a curated group are the people that you spend time with really interesting and maybe from diverse backgrounds so that if i engaged with that group or community i'd get a lot of value for some people it's around skills opportunities access and resources right so what value do you provide so if we want to get people's attention the context is what will attract
3: them Mm -hmm.
2: And I would say that our best bet is to actually just invite people to do something with us. And the reason I say that is very specific. It has to do with that second characteristic, which is trust. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Do you have any kids?
1: I do. Two toddlers.
2: Okay. Two toddlers. Perfect. So let me ask you a question. You know how in like traditionally, if you want to win somebody over, people will take you in the business world to a business dinner. All right. Yeah. And do you find those particularly enjoyable? It's hit or miss. <laughs> yeah. But that's exactly the point, right? Is that if the person is really dynamic and fun, great. Otherwise, you're stuck there and locked in for like an hour and a half and it's miserable. Uh-huh. So giving somebody or paying for something for somebody doesn't necessarily get them to like you more or trust you more, right? If you go to a party and they give you a swag bag, what do you tend to do with that swag bag? Well,
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's so funny. I've, I've had the experience many times where I have a rental car Mm -hmm. and I am driving into the rental car lot where I'm returning it. Mm -hmm. And then I have the bag and I'm looking at it over the trash can and deciding which items (laughs) I'm actually going to take versus pitch. (laughs) Yeah. Because then you
2: have to travel back home on a flight and you're like, oh my God, I'm not going to carry a, I don't know, a power aid onto a flight, right? Like I'm not like I don't want 14 postcards from these brands with their stickers on them. Like it's just not anything I care about. And that's the point is that we don't win people over with gifts. You can. There's very specific situations. So let's say I found out you're you have two toddlers. If I get you like the most amazing, I don't know, baby bjorn or something like that in the world like a toddler holder, you'd Mm -hmm. be like, oh my God, John, you're a lifesaver. You totally get the situation in my life.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's much more targeted, specific, applicable.
2: Exactly. But that doesn't scale very well, right? Like I can do that a few times. I can't do that with a thousand people. Mm -hmm. So the question is what actually does work? And it turns out the exact opposite of gifting works, which is, it's called the IKEA effect. It states that we disproportionately care about our IKEA furniture because we had to assemble it. Mm-hmm. So if I can figure out a way for you to invest effort into our relationship, you'll care more about it. Yeah. So you know how, how a lot of people like, oh, I don't like asking for favors. Terrible idea. Ask for favors. People generally feel flattered that you ask. And by them fulfilling on the favor, they will actually like you more. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is that let's let's apply the IKEA effect. The second is, let's find an activity or an opportunity to apply the Ikea effect. So rather than take somebody for a drink or a dinner, go work out together. This will cause the two of you to invest effort into one another and care more about each other in the process. So when I was 28, I was trying to figure out how to connect with really influential people. I developed these models and I end up launching a secret dining experience. 12 people are invited. They're not allowed to talk about what they do or even give their last name. They cook dinner together. And when they sit down to eat, they get to guess what everybody does. And of course, eat a terrible meal. I mean, Mm -hmm. 12 people who don't know how to cook really don't make a great meal. I was going to think you're going to need a big kitchen if 12 people are actively doing stuff. I live in New York. I actually don't have a huge (laughs) kitchen. I actually kind of like the fact that they're stuck rubbing (laughs) elbows up against each other because it it creates more intimacy. Mm -hmm. But you'll notice the IKEA effect is in full force. They are working together towards a joint goal with a time that's time-locked, right? So either they get the work done and we eat or the, the meat's undercooked. Mm-hmm. So this leads to a lot of effort being put and a lot of fast bonding. And in general, human beings don't bond well when they're just like interviewing another one another. We developed as a species that works well together. And so by having a shared activity, it takes the social pressure off of conversation. And then conversation flows more naturally. Mm -hmm. And so it turns out that if we want to connect and build trust quickly, the best bet is to find an activity that we actually enjoy and then invite people to participate with us in that activity. Now, let me emphasize, I might be a bit more extroverted, so I might do something for 12 people. You might be more introverted, and just invite two people to come with you on a hike, mm-hmm. or for an art class, or for some kind of activity that you really enjoy. Maybe playing basketball. I don't know. Whatever it is, it just needs to be something you enjoy, because otherwise, it's going to feel like a real chore to keep doing it to meet people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Certainly, and, and I guess I'm curious. Like, if you're inviting someone, is there a minimum level of something that needs mm-hmm. to be in place before you issue an invitation? So, like, let's just say. I bump into you, you are someone who knows somebody I'm having coffee with, you say hey to that someone, mm-hmm. and then I say, hey, John, you want to go on a hike on Saturday? Yeah, that would be super weird, right? Yeah. So how do we, how do we think about the, the pre-invitation relationship? So there's, there's two
3: or
2: three things that we want to look at. One is, I'd encourage for it not just to be a hike. That doesn't possess novelty. Human beings are driven by novelty. When something is new or different, they want to engage. And so in general, rather than just have a hike, add an additional layer of novelty. Have it be like, oh, each person brings one problem they're struggling with. And by the end of the hike, the entire group coaches them through it, right? So now it's a idea exploration hike. Mm -hmm. And it has direct value to the people participating, especially if we add this additional factor. Which is it's not just novel, but if it's well curated. So if you I say, hey, we've never met, you're friends of Tim's, great. We both know Tim. Pete, I run an idea hike. And I run it with a group of people who are all entrepreneurs who have companies that do over a million dollars in business. Five of us go at a time. Each of us brings one idea that we're struggling with. All of us are experts in different areas. So one is a you know internet marketer the other is an author and another one is a tv show writer whatever it is i think it'd be super fun if you join these this great group of people uh we're going on a hike on tuesday can you make the time now suddenly you see something novel something that has shared effort something that is very well curated right all these successful people that you'll get to connect with and you have a direct value it's a very generous experience you see oh, wow, maybe I'll finally find a solution to this issue that I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. And so you see, you can take a simple idea. I've never, this. I literally made this up with you right now. I've sure. never heard of a hike like this. But the fact that it has all the this value in there, right? And it's a really simple design. Pete, how much would it cost to go on a hike like that?
1: Well, I mean, if, you, if you're try to package it and have a fancy, you know, landing page and all that, it could be thousands of dollars. Yeah.
2: But I mean, like, if I just say, hey, this is something that I do, it wouldn't cost anything in the sense that people can get themselves to the bottom of the trail in, let's say, Hollywood, right? There's all the the Runyon Canyons and all that. Like, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can absolutely gather people or connect with them and create deep connections with them without spending a fortune is kind of what I'm pointing to. Mm -hmm. There's this misconception that in order to connect with people, especially the people that we want to do business with, it's going to cost a lot of money, but it turns out that since human beings are wired for connection and wired for developing relationships, it's the people who have the least amount of money who are often very good
1: at it. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and I want to make sure we cover that piece then. So what are we thinking about with regard to the, the pre-invitation? So, I mean, you've, you've boosted the value proposition, if you will of your invitation. Like that thing you're talking about sounds real cool. So how do we think about the sort of like the the minimum level of pre-connection to issue that invitation? Oh, I think that you actually need none Okay. if the event is novel
2: enough and has some proof of concept. So if you're allowed to like mention some of the names of the people, I think it was the book Made to Stick or something like that talked about the Sinatra rule, this idea that like, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. All you need is like one example that's, oh, the founder of Allbirds. It'll be like, you know, last time we had the founder of Allbirds and the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Then suddenly you have proof of concept. Those are the types of people who come. So in that case, I can say, oh, I saw you on the Forbes 30 Under 30 or whatever it is list. You seem to be doing really interesting things. This is the activity I host. Would you like to join sometime? Here are the upcoming dates.
3: Mm hmm.
2: OK. And you you could literally whatever your thing is to meet people and connect with them. You could go on two hikes a week and so that there's always something to connect with people and always an opportunity to have really healthy pro-social behavior and activities.
1: And I'm intrigued. So the the novel dimension. hmm. Is I get it that that's really cool in terms of, you know, dopamine and excitement and <laughs> creates curiosity. Yeah. So I, I get that that's, that's awesome. But now I'm thinking about sort of the, the big five personalities and uh-huh. how I'm thinking of folks who are low on extroversion and openness to new experiences. Sure. It's like the things we're talking about, they sound really cool. To me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But other personalities might be like, oh, that seems like a bit much in terms of it's, I don't know, risky, scary. Sure. I'm not that adventurous. So, John, do you have any, I don't know if the word is boring, but uh,
2: (laughs) safer? Let's uh, let's uh, let's put on the safer.
1: (laughs) So, I'm going to lean on another book and thought leader
2: on this. There's something called The Creative Curve. It was a book by Alan Gannett. And in it, he suggests that something is creative when it's familiar enough that it feels safe, but new enough that it's exciting, Mm -hmm. right? If it's too safe, it's boring. If it's too novel, it's esoteric, right? It's like Bjork's music. Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. There are personality types that may feel uncomfortable with going hiking and I respect that, right? That's totally fine. So there's two or three different ways to look at it. One is, Maybe invite a few friends that write for outlets to come or make friends with people who write for outlets and get a story done about it so that you have additional proof that you're not like inviting people to like steal their kidneys, right? (laughs) That's one angle, but that happens over time. It's not gonna happen your second time. It'll happen your 10th time, 20th time, whatever it is. The second is you can also do like a board games night or a dinner party and use formats that are more familiar to people than hiking. The issue is that you're not necessarily looking to connect with everybody. You're not trying to boil the ocean and make friends with the entire world. What you're doing is trying to find people in certain industries that have values that you care about. And sometimes that means that you won't meet specific people, but that's okay. Like, frankly, if people are so introverted, they're probably not going to networking events anyway, Mm -hmm. or conferences, right? And in those cases, you're probably better off with just a direct introduction. And hoping that you get to meet them for something more quiet,
3: let's say.
1: Okay, cool. So there we have it. So, So you have an, an activity and a sort of a clear offer. Uh, if that is somewhat novel and fun and valuable, and and gives an opportunity for for people to meet and connect and connect better than just you know chatting because they're 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 doing something together. So so that, all that's excellent. So then let, let's say you're in it. So here we are. We're we're cooking. We're hiking. We're we're doing the board game and we're doing the thing. Uh, any particular do's and don'ts for connecting well in the moment? Sure. So.
2: Here's uh, something I, I only learned while researching this new book is we tend to think that trust precedes vulnerability. Like if I trust you, I'll be willing to risk more, but it turns out that it actually doesn't work that way. It turns out that it's a process called a vulnerability loop. Mm-hmm. So let's say I started working for you, Pete, and I'm sitting in a cubicle or whatever, not far from you. And you hear me say, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed, right? Right. I've just signaled vulnerability. I said, I don't know how I'm going to handle something. Mm-hmm. Now, if you ignore that or make fun of it, trust will be reduced. Uh John, you
3: loser.
2: Come on, buckle down. You can handle it. Now, in certain environments, you might be at, like in the Navy SEALs. That's probably like the culture, right? That's fine. <laughs> but, but in most offices, people are going to feel really insecure and then not put themselves out there again. Mm-hmm. But if you acknowledge it and say, John, my first week, I was totally overwhelmed. What are you dealing with? Then you've just signaled vulnerability, and now we can trust each other at this higher level. Mm-hmm. And it's these vulnerability loops that actually develop trust. That's why trust generally develops over time through small actions.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, the IKEA effect, uh, the, one of the reasons I think it exists is because as you're investing effort in a joint activity, it creates a bunch of these vulnerability loops. I say, oh my God, pass me the, and then you throw me like whatever I need, right? Mm-hmm. And suddenly we've opened and closed a bunch of loops. Now, This also means that when we meet people, we want to be aware of when they're putting out loops, because we sometimes don't notice. Yeah. So if you're saying, oh, how's your week? Oh my God, it was so stressful. That is the opening of a loop. And that's your opportunity to increase trust. Now watch out, there's some people who will like verbally vomit all over you. (laughs) But for the most part, being aware of them and acknowledging them and giving people the space for them means that you can increase trust faster. Well,
1: yeah, well, that's... That's a really interesting framework right there in terms of, can you pass me the salt? I mean, that is like the tiniest bit of vulnerability, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it's like, look, I got some stuff sizzling on this pan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the perfect moment. I need the salt, and yet there's 12 people in the kitchen. I can't reach it right now, so hook me up. So so that is a little something, and, and I see how that, that takes you there. So so that, let's zoom way in on these bits. So someone says, I'm so stressed. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm worried about this thing. They, uh, my, (laughs) my toddler's been screaming all afternoon. It's driving me nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So someone puts one of those out there. Let's hear some best practice responses.
2: And I also want to add something that for some people saying I, I got a promotion is a vulnerability loop. Gotcha. Right. It's,
1: it has to do with the level of comfort that somebody feels. Yeah, that's true. Like if someone disclosed a financial item to me. I'm trying to keep it as vague as possible (laughs) and respectful. And, and, and I can tell it's like, whoa, that, I mean, that, that is vulnerable in that it's like, I know that something about your situation that is surprising and could cause me to look at you in a different light, like better or (laughs) worse, like, holy crap, didn't know you were so loaded or, oh dang, (laughs) government assistance. I I didn't know you were really struggling. Like either way, it's vulnerable and it could be vulnerable in, in a positive way.
2: Yeah, it's super interesting. And the issue is that in general, we don't flex the vulnerability muscle in a great way. The part of it is that we can accomplish a vulnerability loop both by paying attention when other people are opening them or by us opening it in a way that gives them an opportunity to close it. Mm -hmm. So if I said, you know, Pete, I am so impressed with what you've accomplished with this podcast. I have been, you know, I tried to launch a podcast a while back and it was, I did like a bunch of episodes and I just didn't have the energy to keep it going. I am beyond impressed. That in itself is a vulnerability
1: loop. I just called one out on myself, mm-hmm. right? You're right, yeah. And it's easy to let them just blow right past you. It's like, hey man, you know, I got lucky. I mean, you know, you just gotta keep on hustling and grinding and got a good team. Yeah. It's like, okay, that actually did accomplish nothing in terms of like yeah. the relationship building.
2: It blew it off, yeah. right? It, it said, uh, yeah, 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 I'm whatever on your opinion of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we aren't really good with that kind of stuff. And the issue is that when we mess up or think we've messed up, which is more common than actually messing up, like an overshare, yeah, then we get scared to do it again. And understandably, because it's uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Vulnerability in its core is the, the willingness to be open to injury of some kind.
1: Right. Literally. Volio Latin Uh to wound. You're right. In a way, uh, boy, this is really a skill. And and you kind of got to slow it down at first. It's like, okay, okay. Oh, John Mm -hmm. is opening up a vulnerability loop here. And so sometimes, boy, I can overthink it. So let's hear some best practice responses. I I guess it is something along the lines of validation. Like, yeah, man, it's freaking tough. It takes hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. And then you feel like you got to deliver for an audience. It's like, where's my next episode? Yeah. And you don't want to disappoint them. And so you feel that pressure. And then that pressure can get you all the more tired and overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's sort of like connecting you to the emotion. That's one possible
2: side, right? Yeah. So the other is, well, uh, thank you so much for noticing that. Most people just see the success and it, think it comes easy. And I'll be honest, I've clocked in sleepless nights trying to figure out how to make it better. And I really appreciate that you noticed,
1: Warren. that's good.
2: So uh, there isn't a one way to do it. It's the I think the more important is to acknowledge it and give a like a real answer or response. Mm-hmm. Here's another kind of fun thing about trust that most people aren't aware of. When you say like, "Oh, what's the most important aspect of a relationship?" Everybody always says trust. Yes, yeah. Great. What is trust made out of? And when you ask that question, people are like I don't know. It's mm-hmm. like being vulnerable? I don't know. (laughs) And I didn't know either until I researched this book. It turns out that trust is essentially made of, most researchers agree, three things. Some say four. I like the three model. And it would be competence, your ability to do something, Mm -hmm. honesty or integrity, your truthfulness, right? And the third is benevolence. Now, here's what's interesting. Not all of the three pillars are equally weighted or important. So. For example, let's say you have an episode and it bombs. Do your listeners go, oh, I can't trust him to deliver anymore? Or do they assume like, oh, that one was just okay, whatever. And he'll be back to normal. He probably just got his second COVID shot and an off day. <laughs> right? So like you can see that you can breach competence and it's not a big deal. But if you were to breach honesty, like somebody lied to you, mm-hmm. you would probably doubt everything that they say moving forward. Yeah. But there's kind of like this funny loophole. So let's say the two of us are walking down the street and it's like a year from now. And uh, we can congregate in large groups at this point. And as we're walking, I say, hey, Pete, do you mind if we stop by a friend's house? I need to pick something up. And you're like, yeah, sure. When we walk in, 40 of your closest friends jump out and scream, surprise! Mm -hmm. Now, it would be super strange if you turn to me and go, John, you just lied to me. (laughs) We can't be friends anymore. (laughs) Right? Like, that's, I clearly breached honesty. Yeah. I did not tell the truth. Right. But you were okay with it because I did it for benevolent reasons. Right. Now, if you found out that your doctor was getting kickbacks for giving you prescriptions, that's a lack of benevolence. You'd be like, that's really messed up. I need a new doctor. Yeah. So we can see that we value benevolence above honesty and honesty above competence. And here's what's really interesting. When I was doing all this research, I discovered that apparently, and I'm very clearly not a Navy SEAL, as you can tell (laughs) just by looking at me, that when the Navy SEALs are reviewing potential candidates, apparently they rank them on their skill, their competence, and their team orientation, their kind of benevolence. Mm -hmm. And if you score very high on competence, but very low on benevolence or team orientation, then you're a terrible candidate because it means that you'll be very arrogant. Mm -hmm. But if you are very team oriented and less skilled, they'd much rather have you because you can always upskill a person, right? You can train them. Yeah. But what's really hard is teaching somebody to be benevolent. Right. And so I think one of the important things, and you see this to some degree with these vulnerability loops, is that human beings tend to trust when they feel that somebody has their best interests at heart yeah, and when they're being honest and competence can increase over
3: time. yeah.
2: And if you look at misinformation right now, and I know this is kind of a random side topic, but a lot of the misinformation that's believed seems to be about like very wealthy elite people. Mm-hmm. And my hunch is that it becomes so believable because although whoever is very competent at doing things, My hunch is the people that believe these things, like they're trying to microchip us or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. don't necessarily feel that they're benevolent. Yeah. And so I think that that's a lot of the issues that we're facing is that when the narrative around our relationships are non-benevolent, it's really hard to trust. Incompetence, we can kind of get over. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, that's interesting because I remember when I fired somebody, Mm -hmm. there was some incompetence going on for a while. And, and, and I was like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to work on it. You know, we're going to work on it. Du, 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 du. And then I remember there was some hourly reporting going on. And in a conversation I had with her about what seemed like over-hour reporting, mm-hmm. she over-reported the hours she spent having that conversation with me. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. You could see the time stamp on yeah. the Skype. Like, I mean... And we're talking about the thing right now It's just sort of like, oh, my God, I just don't have any hope that uh, this can be turned around. I yeah. just I guess we're done here. You know? Oh,
2: my God, that's so awkward. <laughs> no, oh. that's but I think that that's a perfect example of hourly reporting is a vulnerability loop, right? You are literally saying, I trust that you are going to be respectful of my business, my work, my livelihood, my ability to support my family. Yeah, that's true. And I'm going to, to trust you to accurately assess your work. Yeah. And, and it's not, what's interesting about this one is that it's not up to debate. You either like an hour is a length of time that you can measure. Yeah. Like, sure. Maybe you got up to go to the bathroom, whatever, right? Like uh-huh. you're allowed bathroom breaks. Right. That's I'm not like measuring that, but she breached that vulnerability loop. Right. Like trust was fundamentally reduced to the point that it's not acceptable to keep working together.
1: Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that that just rings true in terms of of benevolence, trumping honesty, trumping competence, because competence, you know, I was being lenient for a good while there. So, so insightful stuff, John. Well, well, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things.
2: This has been super interesting exploring the idea. And I, I love that you brought up an example. I mean the, the book is like I I mentioned super fun. It it explores how human connection, trust, and belonging are really the greatest predictors and kind of breaks down the science and stories of how to bring it to life. And I think like one of the interesting things is that we did a deep dive into how to actually accomplish it digitally, because right now teams are really having a tough time at distance maintaining culture or feeling of belonging. Mm-hmm. That was super interesting on how to actually accomplish it.
1: Great. All right. Well, now, could you share a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring?
2: If you wish to improve, be willing to be thought uh, stupid and foolish. Epictetus. <laughs> so I cannot count the number of times I felt like an idiot. <laughs> I have embarrassed myself more times than I can count. I have opened more vulnerability loops that were never closed. I have put myself out there leaned in for the kiss in my early days before I was married and was rejected. Like the, you know, the, you, you put yourself out there in like some romantic trope and then you're like, oh no, no, we're best as friends. Mm -hmm. So like, but the fact is that human beings, uh, function in like an anti-fragile process, meaning, you know, I drop a glass, it breaks, it's fragile, but human beings are anti-fragile, which means that, when we apply pressure to ourselves, we get stronger. We lift weights, we get stronger. We try and learn to interact socially. It's embarrassing at times, but we get stronger. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I love that quote by Epictetus. And how about a favorite study? There's two that are kind of fun. One is by Gilbert from, I think he's at Harvard. Uh, He's kind of like the leading happiness researcher. And what he did was he had people take a Uh, I think it was a series of Monet prints. I think it was like six of them or 20 of them, whichever number it was. And he said, oh, please organize these from most appealing to least appealing. And then he essentially said, oh, I have numbers three and number four. You can pick one of them to take home with you. A week later, they came back and they had them reorganize the, the print order or put it in order again from most to least. And number three, which is what most of them took home, became number two and number four became number five. Mm-hmm. So essentially, making the decision or commitment actually changed people's preferences. Yeah. Now, people argued, oh, that's because they have the print and they remember it. So he repeated the experiment in one of these centers where, for people who can't form new memories, right, like 50 first dates or Memento. Mm-hmm. And so he comes in, does the experiment, walks out of the room, walks back in, the person doesn't remember them anymore, doesn't remember the experiment, and then has them order the the pictures again and somehow number 3 becomes number 2 and number 4 becomes number 5. And that means that our decisions and our preferences can actually be rewired based on our actions mm-hmm. independent of our memory, which means that our preferences are malleable. And it's kind of silly because we view ourselves as the person who likes this drink and likes this activity, but maybe if we just made a slightly different decision one time, we could learn to like anything. Yeah. And I think that that's totally wild. Another study I, I kind of like is called the Pratfall Effect. Oh, yeah. So, for the listeners, uh, you know how in like rom coms, people love uh, the hapless fool that falls all over themselves, like one we want to cheer for? A study was done that looked at uh, people going into job interviews and had some people spill a bit of coffee on themselves. And it turns out that they were rated as better mm-hmm. and more preferable because they were human. It's kind of like that vulnerability loop that I was talking about. So it turns out that being a little silly or, or falling on yourself a bit or, or having these moments that humanize us actually get people to like us more. So the things that you're probably embarrassed about are probably working in your favor. Mm-hmm. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So uh, my name is John Levy, J-O-N-L-E-V-Y. And I'm pretty easy to find on all those social platforms. I'm John Levy TLB, T like Thomas, I like Lion, be like boy, uh, across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Clubhouse, if that's still a thing when this <laughs> who knows like it could be gone in a week or whatever. And uh, my website's John Levy TLB. .com and uh, the book is called You're Invited: The Art and Science of Cultivating Influence. So feel free to reach out. There's also a bunch of games on my website for people who want to connect better digitally, and they're a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And do
1: you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yes. So people tend to be most engaged in their work when they're doing something just outside their skill set, like that point of slight discomfort. So my encouragement is, For you to look at the different aspects of your job and ask yourself, what would make you just slightly uncomfortable? What would be exciting for you to try and do? Maybe that's go to your boss and say, hey, I would like to do a presentation in front of the team. Even if it's not a necessary presentation, just building up that skill because it's exciting for you is super beneficial. Mm -hmm. And having like a playground to do it in that's safe is essential. And so whatever that area that makes you a little bit nervous and excited find that and go and pursue it just so you can develop better skills.
1: All right, John, this has been a treat. I wish you much luck and fun in all the ways you're cultivating influence. Thank
2: you. And this is an absolute blast. Thanks for having me on and for sharing your stories with me. It's a
1: pleasure. I really love John's take about the vulnerability loops and how once that idea is planted in your brain, you've been put on notice to look out for it and say, oh, this kind of sounds like the opening of a vulnerability loop. Well, let's address that. And by noticing those little moments and opportunities and really providing what people are, are needing and seeking and, and feeling for in those moments, goes a long way in really strengthening those relationships. So big thanks to John for that. And again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to as we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com EP667. Hope to catch you next time and peace.
0: Jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring
1: flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid
3: confidence.